Welcome to another Tyrese Cast. I'm Jim McGregor, and I'm joined today by the Chief Product Officer, Jeff Wittick at Ampere Computing. Now, he's been the Chief Product Officer there and in a senior role at Ampere Computing for almost four years now, but he also has 15 years of experience in several senior roles, ranging from semiconductor manufacturing technology all the way to some of the latest cloud technology at Intel. So I'm very happy to be joined by Jeff today. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Now, we're going to talk today about cloud computing and what cloud computing really needs, or more importantly, what is native cloud computing. So before we get into the details of what native cloud computing is, let's talk about the problem. What are the key issues we're trying to solve in cloud computing and why are they so important? Well, over time, the problems that have emerged around how we continue to grow cloud computing, they've sort of changed. So a couple of years ago, the biggest concerns were really around cost. It might have been around performance. But over the last couple of years, with the growing number of data centers, with you know emerging workloads like AI inferencing and training, the amount of power being consumed by these data centers has become really, really important. Because without sufficient power, you can't build out enough compute capacity in order to service all of these growing workloads to supply all of the cool applications, websites out to, to everyone around the world. And so when it comes to that future growth, we need to find different ways to build out cloud computing in ways that don't consume as much power, but still deliver as much, if not more, performance than, than what we've had over the last couple of years. And you know, data centers not only have limited power, but in some cases, data centers also have limited space. It's becoming harder and harder to build out more data centers, especially in regions like Singapore or in London that are already very, very crowded today. So power, space, and then even water becomes a key consideration. Water gets used for aspects of the cooling process to run the air conditioning. So even water can become a really scarce resource. So we've got a big challenge on our hands. Increasing amounts of compute need to be built out, but we can't continue to consume resources the way that we have over the last decade or so. Now, let's put this into perspective, because I didn't realize how big some of the numbers were. There's at least 7.2 million data centers around the world. And they're, in some cases, on a country basis, consuming terawatts of power. In addition to that, you know, they still account for a relatively small percentage, around 1% of total global power consumption. But that's huge, and it's growing, especially as the data continues to grow exponentially. Matter of fact, if you look at some of the hyperscalers like Facebook, 90 to 95% of the power consumption that they consume is all in their data center. It's not PCs, it's not lighting, it's not anything else. It's just those huge data centers. And you mentioned cooling. Obviously, environmentals just for the buildings is one thing, but also liquid cooling for the systems is getting really, really expensive. So in terms of that, I mean, and we've even seen some data centers being put close to power plants just so they have enough power. But it used to be easy to look at that and say, okay, well, we build a building and we've got it for 20, 30 years because we can keep putting new processor generations in there. But that's kind of running out of steam, isn't it? It is. Yeah, you hit a, you hit a lot there. Yeah, you look at the overall global power consumption for data centers. You mentioned it's about 1%. And the industry's done a pretty good job of keeping that number in check 
over the last decade or so because Moore's Law was still able to somewhat keep up and deliver some gains. And there were a lot of advancements in things like data center efficiency. People went and deployed really innovative ways of cooling data centers that were very environmentally friendly. But we've sort of done, we've done all the easy things at this point. And so left unchecked or left without some sort of new technology, you know, that power consumption is going to start to climb. And what's also really alarming is this power consumption is generally uh, very concentrated in very specific areas. It's very concentrated in Northern Virginia or in Dublin, Ireland, or in the Bay Area, right? All these places where network traffic is, is flowing through. So it's really stressing the power grids in these very specific places. A really good example is in West London. Uh, there's a big housing shortage in, in London, and there were all these plans to go and build out additional multi-unit housing complexes there. And when applications started to be received about a year ago for those, they went, looked at the available power on the grid and realized that there was actually no excess power left for housing. Data center operators had come in, taken all the excess power, and they went ahead and just put off all the applications for a decade or more. So it's actually having really, really you know, big impact on people's everyday lives. And so data centers are starting to become more and more unwelcome neighbors in these areas. And you mentioned that they were cooling. You know, people build these data centers, like you said, to operate them for, for many decades. And if you needed to go and overhaul your whole data center for some sort of new exotic cooling solution in order to power up your, you know, increasingly 500 watt or higher CPUs, your big high power GPUs, that, that's very, very disruptive. That's not what, uh, you know, was originally intended when those data centers were built. So going and overhauling a whole data center, especially one that's actually running today with real life workloads in it, that's, that's really, really hard to do. So we need to come up with solutions that can fit into some of the existing spaces and save power. Well, and it's interesting because over the last couple of years, we've seen some of the standard CPUs and GPUs in data center increasing in their TDP, their thermal design power, their, their upper limits, which is really stressing that even more. Now, Ampere's always been focused on cloud computing and really efficient cloud computing. Matter of fact, you guys have coined a term called cloud native processor. Now, I've seen some other companies kind of hop on that bandwagon, but they're using it differently. So you can give us a better definition of really what cloud native processing is. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the, the term cloud native has been around for you know a decade or so, and people have typically used it to talk about what software is doing. So cloud native software uh, is software that has adapted to the way that the cloud delivers compute. So it's software that is very distributed, that's able to take advantage of maybe hundreds or thousands or even more processors around a very large distributed data center. It's very elastic, it's resilient, so it scales really, really well. And so that's been a concept that's been practiced in the software space for a while, but it's not a concept that's really made its way into the hardware space. And that's what we've set out to do at Ampere, is build a processor that's cloud-native, a cloud-native processor, one that was designed from scratch that delivers compute the way the cloud actually consumes compute. So compute that is very, very high performance, but it's very predictable, giving you the same level of performance all the time, regardless of how many users. Compute that's very scalable, allowing you to scale out to those very, very large distributed workloads. But in the context of this conversation especially, it also has to be compute that's very power efficient. 
Because at the end of the day, whether you care about OPEX or whether you care about environmental goals or you just care about being able to actually expand your compute footprint, you know, we're running into these hard constraints around, around power efficiency. So we need to think about the way that we're actually delivering that compute, just unconstrained compute that continually takes higher and higher TDPs at the platform level to support performance gains that actually aren't efficient, where you get less performance gain than the amount of additional power uh, is being provided, that just doesn't work. You know what that means? It means that overall, in a data center, if you are actually delivering less performance per watt over time, it just means that your overall data center capacity will go down over time because you're going to end up hitting your, your data center power constraints. So I think some other people have latched on to this concept of, of cloud-native processors, but what they're doing is, is quite a bit different than what we're doing. We took a clean sheet of paper approach. We built a new processor that was specifically designed for this cloud use case. Now, they're general purpose processors, so they run all the applications that run in the cloud, but architecturally, the processor looks very, very different from the legacy processors that are largely x86 processors, those legacy processors that, that preceded ours. So it's about taking that fresh approach, building everything from the ground up, and then building processors that are not just very high core count and very high performance, but are also really, really power efficient so that we can solve the real problem here, which is how to build capacity at scale. Now, one of the trends we've seen, especially in the data center, is the move towards what we call workload-specific processing. So how does that concept of workload-specific processing fit with cloud-native? So what we've set out to build is really that workhorse processor. So there's still a need for a general purpose processor that's running all the basic code, that's running your operating system, that's running all those C programs that you have, that's running Java, that's running you know, your web services, databases, uh, even AI inferencing. You know, so there's a need for that general purpose processor. And that's what we've set out to build, is that core processor that's going to sit right at the heart of your data center and is going to run all of those general purpose tasks all those general purpose applications in your data center. Now, there are some spaces where people have chosen to build domain-specific accelerators. So there are some workloads that do lend themselves to a very specific type of processor. And that might be because the data is structured in a certain way or the instructions are operated on in a specific way. Your GPUs are a great example. Graphics look very different than just basic C code, for instance. And so GPUs are the preferred way for rendering graphics and encoding video. And you know, AI training can be another example here, where the way that AI training models are run means it has a very specific data structure and a very specific type of instruction that's being run over and over and over again. So if you have a workload that's very, very specific and that's gotten large enough, it can make sense to go and attach an accelerator to it. And those accelerators can attach themselves to our CPUs very, very easily. So even in an environment where someone's running accelerators, you may as well pick a cloud-native processor to attach it to, because then you're going to end up with less power consumption with all the general purpose processing, leaving you plenty of capacity for, for everything else. So when we think of cloud-native processing or cloud-native processors, kind of in combined with those, obviously, domain-specific accelerators, when we think of that, what type of increases in efficiency should we be seeing with each generation? Yeah, well, I think you know, since it focuses really on that compute capacity at scale, you're going to see big increases in the metrics that matter. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about you know, what, what metrics really matter. So we talked about the fact that the cloud's running at scale. So it's not about how much performance you're getting out of a single core 
or how much performance you're even getting out of a single server. You know, those are those are details, but there's a lot of ways to create the most optimal solution, and those aren't actually the metrics that matter the most. You know, those are great legacy metrics that had a lot of meaning back in the pre-cloud world where you weren't running workloads at scale, where you were stuck running on a two-core processor, a four-core processor. But now you have access to thousands and thousands, if not millions of cores. So when we think about performance, we think performance at scale. Now you could look at this in many ways, the total amount of performance that you get at a data center level. We choose to look at the performance per rack. It's a nice manageable number. It's way bigger than a server. You might have 40, 80 servers in a rack. So it's nice and big. You certainly have achieved scale. And it has real life constraints because a rack is always the same amount of space. And at least in a specific data center, a rack's always going to assume consume roughly the same amount of power. So we like to think of it as performance per rack. And so when you look at our processors, our Ampere cloud native processors, you know, they have up to 128 cores, so very, very scalable, and they don't consume very much power. So we're able to run, as, as an example, let's say you had a web service that needed to you know, service the requests of 1.3 million users uh, at any given time. So we could go and service all those requests. We'd consume 2.8 times less power. You could do it with three times less data center footprint, so three times less racks. And we're delivering two and a half times more performance per rack. So we're talking about big gains here. These are multiple X gains by using Ampere cloud data processors versus what you could do with legacy x86 processors from Intel and from AMD. So if I had to combine that reduced number of servers or reduced number of racks, increased performance, and everything else, I'm trying to even calculate that out. We're probably in the you know 20s, 30s, maybe even hundreds, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what you're running. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some big savings here. Yeah, this is going to allow people to either dramatically you know reduce the footprint of what they're currently running today, which then means they have a lot more capacity for emerging workloads, or just be able to more rapidly expand out for for growing compute needs. You know, I think another a good example right now too. There's been a lot of articles now about about ChatGPT, right, and how much power mm-hmm. that consumes. And I think I saw some of the the estimates are that GPT three, which is the model on which ChatGPT is based, it took 1,287 megawatts just to train that model. So imagine now as those models get bigger and bigger, as you actually start to get into the you know many hundreds of billions of model parameters, you know this type of an approach would allow you to train those even bigger models and not actually even consume any more data center space, power, and water than the current iterations of the model. So we're gonna we're gonna have to find we're gonna have to find another solution here because this this is starting to, you know, the growth in, in power consumption is experiencing trends that could really cause an explosion here. So if you need a hundred X in terms of or if you increase the data set by 100x, you need 100x or more in terms of improvement in terms of performance efficiency. Yeah, and just a good example, at GP3 is huge. Yeah. But NASA just uh, announced a couple weeks ago that they're going to be using their data set for training foundational models, and that data set is going to be 250 petabytes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm still struggling to kind of put that into my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's going to be phenomenal. So, no, this is great. You know, and this kind of, uh, tell you what, all of this is kind of leading down a new road for the data centers. 
You know, we, we really are charting new growth, not just because of the data we're trying to process, but we're re-architecting for the most part the data center. We have to re-architect it. The model doesn't work. So kind of give me your 10-year view. You know, what changes of the data center in 10 years? Well, I think that, um, you know, if you look at the data center level itself, obviously there's a lot of efficiencies already in there. I think we'll see you know, across the board, PUE, so the measure of the efficiency of the input power to, to the power that's actually being used for useful compute, you know, I think we'll see it become pretty customary that PUE is in the, you know, 1.1, 1.2 range. Today, the world-class data centers are in that range, but not all data centers are. So I think we'll, we'll eke out all the efficiencies we can at the data center level. Of course, I think we'll see more and more usage of renewable energy in data centers and, and doing so hopefully in a way that the data centers themselves are really consuming that renewable energy versus it just being kind of a shell game with with carbon credits. So I think we'll see more and more of that. You know, hopefully we'll see cloud native processors deployed pervasively in all these data centers. That's going to allow us to just bring down the the actual power consumption. So we'll see many, many X gain in performance per rack. That'll help us fuel out in a really efficient way. And then I think if I kind of look, you know, maybe at some more extreme spaces, I think we'll start to see these same types of approaches also used for maybe some different compute paradigms that are emerging. So quantum computing has been around for a while, but you know, we may actually be in the next decade or so, and you know, maybe we will be into a place where we achieve quantum supremacy. And there are actually some problems that you know, quantum computers can uniquely solve. We've partnered with Rigetti, for instance, in the quantum computing space, and we've created this hybrid classical quantum computer, which kind of brings the best of both worlds. So they have a very scalable approach to quantum computing that where they can easily deploy it in the cloud, just like we have a really scalable approach to you know, general purpose cloud computing. And so we've been working together on how we can create this hybrid computer system so you get the best of both worlds. The net benefit being a lot of performance on a unique set of problems, but actually handled in an extremely power efficient way. So same types of approaches we've taken on the processor, let's apply it to other types of compute as well across the data center. Jeff, that's perfect. Thank you so much. And I think that with... With all that, this brings us to a wrap of another Tyrius cast, but I want to encourage all our listeners to, if you want more information about this, this is a key topic for us, what's happening with data centers, what's happening with our uh, new architectures, and what's happening with semiconductor technology. Please look for our articles in Forbes, EE Times, EE Journal, ECT News, and Microelectronics if you read Mandarin and you're in Taiwan. Also look for our other podcast. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. If you'd like more information about Terry's research or inquire about our services, please contact us directly. I'm at Jim at Terry's Research. It's T-I-R-I-A-S research.com. You can also reach out to Kevin at Terry's Research, Francis at Terry's Research, or Steve at Terry's Research. You can also keep up with us through our websites. We have a newsletter that you can sign up to on our website. It comes out monthly. And you can also keep up with us on social media, especially Twitter and LinkedIn. We've got the at Terius Research, but we've also got at Tech Strategist. That's T-E-K Strategist for myself. At Steve Leapson for Steve Leapson. At Crewell for Kevin Crewell. And at F. Sedeco for Francis Sedeco. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>